Ah, hello there, folks. Welcome back to the Uticast, episode 282. This week, we are joined by Utica, third ward common council person, Celeste, uh, Celeste Friend, who's joining us this week to talk about her new referendum on the board on Wednesday to return voting term limits the way they were in 1992. We had a great conversation with her about that. Uh, also this week, we'll talk a little bit about uh, election results, talk a little bit about uh, Dan Lebitard, who's my favorite person of the week. We got some history lessons, we got some Christmas news, uh, we got all sorts of interesting stuff for you folks here this week, and as always, we are ecstatic, beyond belief, to have you here. I'm your host, Sam Fimolaro, joined, as always, by the man, the myth, the legend, the mm-hmm. conqueror, the beast mm-hmm. incarnate, yes. Kevin and Sullivan. Correct. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm ah. doing good. I'm doing good. A little bit early here on a Monday. Feeling Weird. strong. It's all right, you know. Two, two in a row we did early on Mondays now. It works. It works. You know, I, well, it's funny. I was kind of waiting until at least noon because I've been following this Brindisi-Tenny race and all the mm. stuff that's going on, and I was trying yeah, yeah. to get as close as I could to... The pod with results, because by the time people hear this, you know, who knows how close it'll be. Sure. Uh, I'll get into that in just a second. Uh, Of course, this week, folks, we're talking with Celeste Friend, who is the Mm -hmm. Utica Third Ward Common Council person. Your friend and mine. Your friend and ours, uh, Celeste Friend. And, of course, she's here today to talk about, um, I guess we'll, we'll get into the interview, but she's here going on Wednesday to the Common Council to present new legislation to restore 1992's term limit referendum, which was uh, voted out by the Common Council in 2017. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I've had a lot of people ask me about this, because um, <laughs> we're like, wait, you shared this. Does this mean you're, like, mad at the mayor? And it's like, no, not really. I'm not really. This isn't about the mayor. It's about going forward. I don't like the idea of multiple adding terms onto things. Yeah, of course. I mean, that's the Common Council. This is business. Like, anytime, anytime stuff like this happens, there's going to be people on, on either side of an argument, different mm-hmm. stuff like that. So, no, it doesn't mean that you're mad at this mayor specifically. You know, that's that's not really... Uh, that, that football team mentality isn't good for politics, especially yeah. when it comes to, to local stuff like this where we all live in a, in a relatively small community together. And, you know, this is a conversation that is very nuanced, and I'm not going to speak too much about it because I thought Celeste did an excellent job uh, mm-hmm. during our conversation. Don't want to step on that. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to step on all the stuff she said. But, again, cool, cool. Uh, I have the link in here to the press release, which she sent out last Thursday. Uh, we had a really nice time talking to her. Uh, if you are interested in watching um, the the uh, the council, Common Council meeting, bleh, uh, apparently you can go to the City of Utica's YouTube page, which I did not totally know existed. And you mm-hmm. can watch it on YouTube. Yeah. So there you yeah, go. Yeah. Uh, and also, uh, if you are interested in this or this moves you to sign, there is a petition as well. I put it up on Twitter that people can sign. They're looking for about 100 signatures. I think they're about mm-hmm. halfway through at the moment where mm-hmm. I checked. Uh, so if this is something you feel like you uh, feel is important, go ahead, sign the petition, read about the legislation, and follow on Wednesday and see what happens. Yeah, yeah. Stay engaged. Uh, also, this week, I do have a little bit of house cleaning I need to do from the Maiden Utica front. Mm. It's been a while since we've had any announcements. couple things to announce. Number one, you may have seen the video on Facebook this morning. New York Sash Teddy Bear Toss this year, although mm. there is no game, is going on the road. 
Love to see it. You knew you couldn't stop the New York Sash folks in the Teddy Bear Toss. Can't stop. You, you could not stop. Won't them. stop. Uh, so for what they're doing this year, they'll be going on the road and picking up teddy bears at assorted locations throughout Utica uh, over the holiday season. You can go watch the video. I'll link it on YouTube from the Maiden Utica Facebook page. Uh, November 27th, though, they'll be outside the Sangatown Square Mall from 9 a.m. to 1. The next day, they'll be at the United County Public Market from 9 to 1. That's on November 28th. The next day after that, from the 29th all the way through December 3rd, they'll be outside New York Sash from 8 to 6 every day. Mm -hmm. And then last but not least, on December 4th from 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. at Babes on Harbor Point. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's... I love the teddy bear toss. I think it's a phenomenal yeah, yeah. thing. I'm and it'll be a shame to not be out there and be on the ice and have For that sure. moment where For everybody sure. throws. <laughs> For sure. You know. Uh, but, you know, the, the donations, you know... Shout out to them for making the best of it, though. Awesome. And and the donations still go to helping uh, the people who really need it, the kids who don't have holidays and things like that. So, again, take your take that moment and still do something nice for people. Well, that's something to think of, you know, this year as we as we march towards the holiday season. Everybody's talking about, you know, a lot of us are going to have weird holidays and tough holidays and not yeah. be around family or, like, things might be different or whatever. Uh, the people who have tough holidays every year are going to have even tougher holidays mm. this year, just like all the rest of us. So uh, it's really important to keep this stuff in mind and realize that just because we can't be out there as a community the way we're used to being doesn't mean we can't be a uh, community still in these different ways. So a lot of respect to them for that. Uh, another uh, announcement from Made in Utica. This year we are bringing back uh, something called the Homebrewed for the Holiday mm. Gift Box. Again, if you want to support local businesses around the holidays... Uh, we're doing this is a really awesome way to reach out and support multiple local businesses at once. MadeinUtica.com. Uh, check it out. It's really we're trying cool. to mail the Handshake City Market to your home <laughs> yeah. or anybody's home. Uh, you're talking about uh, a new homebrewed vintage T-shirt, which we haven't produced in a really long time. I know how popular yeah, yeah. those are. Yeah, yeah. Uh, new Made in Utica and Utica We Trust mug. Uh, we have some coffee from Utica Coffee Roasters with special labels we designed. Uh, new coasters, dish towels, art from Retro Sorrento, new ornaments, postcards. So send it as a gift to somebody, or you can just get it and just have it be a gift for like four people. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Which is something or, I may or may not do. Or keep it all for yourself. All of you which. Know, little gift. <laughs> Real great ideas. Little gift. Uh, so, yeah. I guess that's where... Um, I guess that's where I had for our opening notes this morning. Do I have any? I was going to talk a little bit about that book that I made you read, but you're you're already halfway through, so I guess we'll wait a little bit. Wouldn't say halfway, but a good yeah. about maybe a third, a quarter to a third of the way through. Yeah, yeah, we'll see what goes on. But I'll, I'll just say to the listeners, you know, I I picked up this book mm. earlier this year. It's called The End of October by right. Lawrence Wright. Lawrence Wright is famous for writing The Looming Tower, which is the book about Al Qaeda, I believe. Okay. Uh, and he also made a they, they made a Hulu show based around the doc. He's actually a nonfiction writer. This is his first fiction book. Oh, cool! And it happens to be about a pandemic uh -huh. <laughs> that cripples the country and the effects of the pandemic on the populace going forward. And uh -huh. it was written before the pandemic. But holy lord! <laughs> oh my god! I can I can say from from what I've read so far, uh, yeah, definitely some some similar strains that you see going through. But uh, certainly the virus in the book is a lot more. Yes, certainly. A lot, lot, lot. It's basically Ebola. Yeah. Less. Yeah. They'll explain exactly what it is later on. Mm -hmm. um, and again, I, I yeah, want to spoil it. Some, some weird stuff. Not as weird as I thought it would be. Good. Not as weird as I thought it would be. Good. Uh, <laughs> uh, other than that, uh, do I have any? Oh, there's some local stuff I wanted to talk about. Kev, I want to pitch it. this to you. Pitch me. Uh, this is from Light 98.7 if you want to read the article. The Marquee Cinema in New Hartford has a solution for you if you really miss going to the theater to see a big screen movie. They are allowing you to rent out the entire theater for $100. 
You and 19 of your closest friends can have holiday fun. You can rent out the entire theater uh, and reserve the theater for a few select Christmas classics, which you get to choose from. Mm. Okay? Christmas Story, Elf, Gremlins, Christmas Vacation, mm. uh, and Polar Express. I'm glad that they put Christmas Vacation and Gremlins on there because I was a little concerned about what selection of movies you were allowed to watch. Right, right. Uh, what are your thoughts here? Is this something you find interesting or nah? I have a Missed lot. Of, I have a lot of thoughts. Okay. Uh, for, I mean, for, first and foremost, not it's not for me. Not for you. Uh, it's not sure. something I'm going to be doing. But it's I find it interesting. Uh, I think it's hilarious that you that like they cap you. I mean, twenty people. I thought it was supposed to be ten. Twenty still seems like quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Like, can you have food in here? Can you do two movies? Maybe if you can do two movies <laughs> and they give you a little buffet table and you have your family party. But I don't know about the cleaning. Uh, good for them for trying something, and I think some people will definitely take advantage of it, but yeah. it's not for me. If I got invited, I don't know that I would go. <laughs> no, I I feel like I have a lot of nitpicky things about this. I also don't need to like see the Christmas classics. That's kind of my one nitpick. Like, if I want to rent out a movie theater right. and play a movie, I should be able to tell you what movie I want to watch. Like, why can't I watch a movie that... To, to at least a wider degree than yeah. this. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I, I mean, I want... I'm aware you can't give me any obscure film I've ever wanted when I snap my fingers. Put but... on John Carpenter's The Thing. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, I... Even that, I mean, that would be... Yeah, if I want to watch Christmas Vacation, I can stream that in my home. That is correct. You know what I mean? You don't pay all that money for the couch to uh, here's what I will here at the market. Here's what I will say. I do think this is a relatively creative idea. Yes. Like, it's a pretty... And I'm sure that there are people who will like this idea and take advantage of it. Mm. I think that there are people who like going to the movies more than I do. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, like the yeah. experience yeah, yeah. of going to the movies more than I do. And $99 actually is not that expensive for this. I mean, because you talk about splitting between 20 people. That's what I'm saying. You're yeah. talking like, what, like five bucks a person? Even less than I don't even know. It's it's, not bad. Yeah, it's nothing. Nothing. I mean, again, I know that these places are hurting for business. So anything you can do to like get people to you know keep the business doors open as long as you're doing it safe, I, I'm, I'm not against it. Pretty interesting idea, though. Got to do something. Always interested when somebody tries tries something new. So good for them. Um, I don't really. <laughs> this isn't really a local story, but I just I wanted to share a headline with you that I saw from Vanity Fair today. We haven't gotten into Trump land yet, but I just love this headline. What? Uh, okay, Trump says that New York won't get the vaccine right away because he's a petty little bitch. That's <laughs> that is the headline this week from Vanity Fair. This is my favorite headline of the week. <laughs> Show me the lie. <laughs> Yeah, apparently New Yorkers will not get the coronavirus until Andrew Governor Cuomo, who we all hate, apparently. Andrew Governor Cuomo. Andrew, Andrew <laughs> Governor Cuomo. Uh, AGC. AGC. Uh, until he kisses the rings. Uh, yeah, Trump said it's because he spoke up against them. He didn't like what he had to Good say. keep it. We'll see you in January. It's not even ready for dispersal until January, at, at very best. So, cool. Uh, and let's do. let's talk a little bit about Claudia Denny and Anthony Brindisi. We sort of stayed away from talking about this last week. What we knew going in was that Claudia was ahead about 28... By quite a bit. 28,000, I want to say. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I want to give a shout-out to an individual on Twitter who folks should follow if you're really curious about this. His name is Josh Rosenblatt. Josh Rosenblatt works for WBNG.com. You can go on Twitter and find him. And he has been doing amazing coverage mm. of the results here for the last week and a half. And uh, I just want to give him some credit because I've been on, I've been following his Twitter feed for a week now. Right. Just paying attention to this. As of today, they're at about 8,000 difference. So, mm. Bernissi has made up around 20,000 votes mm. uh, from mail-in. And according to the most recent tweet, and again, I go ahead and follow him on Twitter because by the time I see this, sure, I'm sure something sure, else sure. will go up. 
if things were to break the way they're breaking, and Brindisi keeps getting around 72 to 73% uh-huh. of these back, uh-huh. you're talking about a difference of somewhere in the single thousand digits, one way or the other. Mm. No one wants to seem to make a, a claim because it's way too early and it is going to be super tight. Mm-hmm. But it does seem like Rendisi is a lot closer today than mm-hmm. he was last week. Mm. Um, I'll say this. I'm not going to sit here and say who's going to win or lose because I have no idea how this is going to break out, right? I will say I feel a little better knowing that he didn't get crushed by 30,000 votes in a night of county. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> right? Like, it well, makes... that certainly doesn't make a lot more sense to you. It does. Yeah, it yeah, does yeah. make, a, it does validate, like, my feeling. That seems so weird that he would get yeah. beat this bad after. Well, we, that was the thing. And this was why we didn't, we made a point to not talk about this on the mm-hmm. show last week. Uh, and certainly, you know, there was, a, there was a bigger fish in the frying pan. Sure. Um, but also because we knew that because New York State doesn't start counting the mail-in ballots until so late, and we knew that so many Democrat voters broke two mail-in ballots this year, uh, you know, because of coronavirus and, you know, the risks therein. Yeah, of course. We knew that there was going to be big numbers coming, and that even though you know it looked like a pretty large lead, we knew it was going to be closer than what it was. So to talk about the race right. with context, because of these outdated mail-in laws that should probably be changed in New York, you know, now that I think, because I think mail-in voting is one of those things. Once people do it once, they're probably a lot more likely to do it. They're like, oh, this was convenient. convenient and easy. I'm just going to do it this way. Um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. It's getting close. You know, it's a. Uh, well, I can't say anything about it until we see what happens, really. I just, all I'll say is I feel a little better today that it doesn't feel like mm. our good friend got absolutely shellacked for what would seemingly be not going with a campaign of being a total dickhead. Do you know what I mean? Like, just being an asshole. Like, well, I mean, I think I wouldn't, I, you know, I, I, if you were our third person in the studio right now, I'd tell him I don't think you ran a great campaign. Mm. And I hope this is a big wake-up call yep. to him. Uh, I hope that, you know, if, if he were to squeak out and get the win, you know, let it serve as a wake-up call. And if you lose, you know, there's some serious questions you can ask. So. Well, the crazy thing is, either way, whoever wins or loses, I don't think either of them ran a great campaign. I mean, he... It's certainly tough campaigning in in these different times. Yes, where A lot of the traditional for sure. methods and ways are, um, are not available to you. Yeah, for sure. Uh, all right, so let's get into, I guess we'll dig into, I guess we're still calling it Trump World. For the moment, this segment. I, you say we're like, <laughs> like you're not the man with the pad and pen. Well, Trump because like, it's hard not to come up with something else to mm. cover this over engulfed yeah. category. I'm uh, sorry, I don't know who that is. <laughs> is all okay. So let's put it this way: earlier this week, New York Times uh, found through reporting that there was no evidence of voter fraud after speaking to election officials in every state. Right. Um, I just think that when I saw this headline come out. This is, I guess, the sad part of where we are, right? My first thought was like, this is the New York Times, right? Everyone's going to say this is bullshit. Like, immediately because it's the New York Times, like, there's a certain section of people are going to say, nah. Of right? Uh, but I am glad to see that all these newspapers are picking it up and running with it because these are real important facts that people should be paying attention to regardless of all the bluster that's coming out on the other side. Yeah. I mean, every article I've read is how all of these lawsuits are falling apart. Yeah. Piece by piece. It's, I mean, the, the whole election fraud thing and the Dominion voting machine thing and uh, it's going to go to the courts thing and the recount, it's all, and I can't stress this enough, capital letters underlined, childish bullshit. Mm-hmm. I mean, just, just, just childish. And I understand that people take longer going through the five stages of grief than <laughs> others and yeah. I see this like, to see this weird like uh, hissy fit play out on a national stage is really interesting and it would be a lot more easy to be interested in it if it didn't seem like so concerning and about you know things that are involved but yeah it's it's trash like of course they're getting laughed out of courts everywhere 
uh, to I think to take it seriously or to mm-hmm. give it any kind of oxygen at all is kind of silly. Uh, you don't really indulge temper yeah. tantrums, you know. I want to throw this out here because I saw this earlier today. I've seen a lot of people doing the stop the steal kind of thing on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, so stop the steal is not a new political slogan. Uh, and it actually goes all the way back to 2016, where its origins trace to one of our favorite punching bags here on the show, uh, veteran republic operative and dirty scumbag Roger Stone. Mm-hmm. So what a surprise mm-hmm. that this overarching yeah. uh, voter de-enfranchising uh, campaign goes back to this slimy convicted felon, Roger Stone. I would say my surprise level is very low. Of course. <laughs> Yeah, Stone uh, launched the Stop the Steal Committee uh, website in 2016 to fundraise ahead of that election, uh, asking for $10,000 donations. Mm-hmm. Why? It's all a grift. Yo, it's such a grift. Yo, so that, Yo. That's the wild thing. Like, Trump, Trump keeps getting out here, and he's on Twitter talking about, like, I obviously won, you idiots, LOL. And it's like, but you got to donate to help my fight. And mm-hmm. then you look at the donations for his fight, and that money just goes back to, to pay back his campaign debt. Then goes with the RNC for whatever they deem fit. Like it's a, it's just a it's a it's a grift. Yeah, this is the ultimate grift. This is from Reuters actually earlier this week. Donations that are under eight thousand dollars to the Trump election defense actually go to the RNC. So and that's that's like your idiot relative that sent them a hundred dollars for election mm-hmm. integrity. Those people, their money. Yeah, the legal language says that only donations of more than eight thousand dollars before any money goes to, uh, has to be more than eight thousand dollars before any money goes to quote unquote recount accounts, which are established to finance uh, election challenges, including recounts and lawsuits. So yeah, I mean, I don't know why I keep reading all these articles this week about how Jared and Ivanka are not going to be allowed back in New York. And, like, Trump doesn't never going to go back to New York. Because New Yorkers know that he's a grifter. New Yorkers been known. <laughs> You've been knowing he's a grifter since the 80s. And I just, that's, it's, I have a weird pride about being in New York because of it. Is that strange? Do I feel good about being in New York? Because I'm like, I'm nah. Th- listen, we number can't... one, number one. I'll, I'll, I will stand up right here for, I hear, I hear a lot of New York slander from a, a lot, lot of people a lot of times and like various mm-hmm. King Cuomo stuff. And listen, there, there's qualms and concerns about places you live. I got plenty of bones to pick with the state, but like, of course. I'm always proud to be a New Yorker. And yeah, this is another reason right here. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, as I mentioned, this is from Politico earlier today. The Trump you have camp- to come back. I mean, if the Southern District of New York says you have to come back, you have to come That's back. True. Uh, the Trump campaign uh, has pared back federal suits over the Pennsylvania election results as of this morning uh, to the point where even the number of votes that they're now contesting is so small yeah. that it wouldn't affect the count in any significant way, one way or the other. Yeah. Uh, again, I'm, I'm happy, though, to see that all of these lawsuits are failing and that we're keep talking. Keep it coming. Keep it coming. Keep like, it I'm coming. happy Please. about it. Please keep it coming. And can I, like, can I take a punch at, like, one of my least favorite, like, disingenuous things I've seen this week? Sure. This idea that only Republicans want to count the votes. Right? They're like, we got to count all the votes. Like, no Democrat I know That's is like, no. Stop. Yeah, yes, That's count them. We did count the votes. Count them again if you want. Count them a hundred times. I don't care. The problem is it'll never be enough. You can count right. it 50 times, mm-hmm. and it'll never be enough, right? Correct. Correct. And it's very disappointing. Uh, here's somebody who, here's someone I want to talk about. Uh, this is Texas Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick. You heard of this guy? A large time scumbag. Often <laughs> frequent call-in guest on Sean Hannity's radio show. Uh, so the Republican Lieutenant Governor uh, uh, of a state that Donald Trump won by six points, mind you, 
is pledging to hand over up to $1 million of his campaign money to people who can vote, who can prove voter fraud. So he's essentially putting out money yeah. to say, please come to me. So, like, I, it just it seems like to me, and I certainly don't work for the FBI, but it seems like if there was rampant voter fraud everywhere, you wouldn't have to put out a million-dollar bounty for people to say there was voter fraud. That is correct. Like, if it was, if, if voter fraud was coming out of the gills in every precinct and county across this country, you probably wouldn't have to be looking so hard for anybody to testify to it. Um, shout out to the winner of the week. And this week's The Internet uh, Remains Undefeated segment. Mm. And that is on Twitter. Uh, John Fetterman of Pennsylvania. <laughs> Governor of Pennsylvania. The guy who looks like Stone Cold Steve Austin that everyone loves now. Mm. Uh, he sent out a tweet to Governor Patrick saying, I'd like to collect your handsome reward for reporting voter fraud. I got a dude in 44th Pennsylvania who tried to have his dead mom vote for Trump. I would like my reward in shifts, uh, sheets gift cards, please. P.S. The Cowboys blow. Great response. <laughs> I love the sheets gift card toss yeah. out. Give me my money in sheets gift card, please. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't feel bad for this dude and any of these people who like put up these fraud lines who are getting pranked or getting dunked on because oh, you're yeah, asking listen. for it. <laughs> long, long list of people I don't feel too bad for this week. Uh, yeah. So, uh, and then also from the Trump side, uh, the Trump campaign, this is a reporter from Bandy Fairly this week, uh, that they are, in the, uh, the Trump campaign is currently in the process of threatening to fire anyone who is openly looking for a new job in oh. the campaign. Yeah, you can't quit, I fire you. You can't quit, I fire you. I think this doesn't bother me when it comes to like, the higher ups in his staff. What bothers me is for like the, I, I've met people who like have worked for, Claudia Tinney. Sure. And worked for Anthony Brindisi. Sure. These are just like kids. These are interns. Just people. Like yeah. these kids are gonna get left without a job with nothing to do and no place to go and no money. And they can't even pretend to go look for like new internships around Washington, which is how this works. Right? I don't the know, whole I feel like I, it's hard for me to say I feel like if it was me, because if it was me, it wouldn't be me because I no. wouldn't be doing the job. <laughs> never... But like if it was me, I would just okay, bye. Bye. Like you're a loser. Whatever. You're done in X amount of weeks. Bye. Uh, yeah, well... As long as you're not living above your means, you got a couple months put away for savings, pay your apartment in D.C., whatever, get another job. Uh, if you want to see the crybabies, though, uh, there was a violent rally on Saturday night in Washington, D.C., uh, attended by the... Well, they called it the Million MAGA March, which uh, is a tough, tough call. If yeah. you're going to call something the Million yeah. MAGA March... About 10,500 people they had. <laughs> maybe not. Maybe not a million, bro. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't know, man. I, I watched uh, some of these videos of these Proud Boy types out sure. here in the world. And I, I'm torn between two things. Right. One, one, I find like the radicalization of it really scary. Like the, the, the fact that these people can be so radicalized to be full of hate based on whatever. Like feelings of inadequacy or sure. internet meme culture. I don't know what it could be. A million combinations of things. Okay. But also, I can't help but laugh so hard at these clowns. Like, I can't, yes. I'm, I'm torn between feeling bad and being like, what an embarrassment. I, I can barely look at you. Yeah. Right? <laughs> like, that, that checks. That checks. <laughs> I also like all the people who are like, oh, no violence on the streets when there's mad pictures of violence on the streets. Yeah, I mean, they, like, they, they stabbed three people, and it was, I, I just, they must have, I think the cops in D.C. ran out of tear gas and rubber bullets. Is I that what happened? Yeah, that's the problem. I saw that. I noticed that there they were no... Ran, they ran out of it. Um, I mean, they're really mad about Antifa, and so, I mean, again, does that mean that they're pro-fascism? 
like yeah. just pretty, logic. Pretty clearly, yeah. I mean, they're not. They're not logic, super, right? They're not super shy about that. Uh, I don't. Well, it's funny you say that. Is it because no. on because on Twitter is it? They've gotten very very shy. So much so that millions of conservatives have flocked over to the new Parler app, which oh. is conservative Twitter. Right. Uh, which is essentially now you could correct me if I'm wrong. It is a safe space. Yeah. For for conservatives. To just tweet about whatever they want without mm. the liberal agenda is that right. the, is that the idea? I don't know, man. Have you had a chance to look at any of these like screenshots from some of these people on I here? I mean, I've seen some stuff that pops up on Twitter. But, like, I'm not really, I'm not super seeking it out. You know what I mean? The same reason I don't spend a lot of time in the guts of fortune either. Like, I don't, I know what's out there. <sighs> Nothing I see surprises me. I, yeah, I'd, whatever. Such a downer, man. It's such a. It just feels kind of off-brand. Like, weren't aren't we the ones who are supposed to be crying and of sad course, all the time? That, that's. No, that's, you know that's not the truth. No, I know it's not, but right. we've been told by people that we're the, the sad people crying all the time, never accepting Trump or whatever, right? But that, like, isn't this the same thing? Or is uh, this, I don't know. I feel I feel like I'm being uh, gaslighted by these people here. Yeah. What? I don't know. It just feels like for the last, everything I see about Twitter is like people trying to dunk on you because they voted for Trump or like, oh, F your feelings, libtard, all that kind of shit. But, like, the minute their guy's gone, they couldn't handle it, and they had to run off and start their own Twitter? They've been crybabies the whole time. It doesn't make a lot... It's, it seems... I don't know, man. If you, it, doesn't, it doesn't make sense if you take them at their word. Yeah, sure, right. that doesn't make sense. You know That's a mean? good but point. No, yeah, they've been... Yeah, this has been a, a thin... Like, this victim mentality of, like, I'm being oppressed, I'm being silenced, cancel culture's real. Yeah, that whole... That, that's been crybaby mentality the whole time. Yeah. Well, uh... Yeah, I'm, I did bon not. Voyage. <laughs> I did I'll not. Fuck off the parlor. Enjoy yourself. I don't. So here's your internet read of the week. This is from the Converse... Last social networks. I say. This is from theconversation.com, uh, and the story. The article is called "Conservatives Value Personal Stories More Than Liberals Do When Evaluating Scientific Evidence," and essentially it's an article about a research that was done by the uh, Political Psychology Journal, uh, finding, not surprisingly, that conservatives want to hear both sides of an argument more, but they also they also ex- uh, take personal experience as more uh, of a strong suit when making a decision. They care less about science and more about like personal belief. Does that make sense? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, this is what uh, this is from a research report again by the by political psychology uh, in their journal. Website is the conversation. Uh, conservative values personal stories. Uh, yeah. Conservatives value personal stories more than liberals do when evaluating scientific evidence. I don't want to get into it because I'm not a scientist, but it's a pretty interesting read. I liked it, cool. and it's free, so there you go. I always like to find free stuff. It's tough. There's definitely some outlets where there's stuff I love to read, but you can't pay for all of them. Yeah. As much as I'd like to pay for journalism, I can't pay 70 bucks a month for subscriptions. Yeah, that's true. I have to make a decision about what I want to subscribe to, yeah, right? Yeah. I think I do like the... I definitely pay for one specific website for right. sports uh, called Defector, right. which is the old Deadspin for anyone who's out there. I know yeah. Deadspin still exists, but it's a scam. And I, I guess like I have like a New York Times account. I'm always kind of up and down about whether or not I actually want to like sign up to pay for the New York Times. I don't use it all the time. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I also have seven computers, so I can get like 20 free. <laughs> Does that make sense? Like I have like mad computers. Yeah. Uh, I have one last, uh, one like, sort of last political story about this. Uh, and it's one of my favorite ones of the week. Uh, it's about Mississippi Republican Price Wallace. Have you heard about this guy? Uh, perhaps. Uh, so he's so mad uh, about President-elect Joe Biden that he tweeted earlier this week that Mississippi 
should secede from the rest of the United States and form its own country. Never mind that he spelled it succeed, S-U-C-C-E-E-D. Never mind that. Uh, but, <laughs> but he believes that Mississippi should become their own country. I say uh, good luck. <laughs> good luck, pal. I like it. No understanding of anything that goes on in his own state or the country. Just not zero. Zero. Right. Galaxy brain. This is, uh, I think this is the last Trump thing I have for the day. But it's a wildest... This is actually the second wildest headline of the week. This is from the New York Post. Trump among long shots to replace Alex Trebek as Jeopardy host. This is a New York Post article. A.K.A. not real at all. I mean, just not real at all. It's the New York Post. What are your thoughts about Donald Trump as a potential host of Jeopardy? Of course not. Of course not. That's not real. Not at all. Beyond clickbait. I think it's Beyond clickbait. He can't Dude, read. It, it would be so funny. Think about how much he'd have to talk during the whole thing. Like how think about how quick Trebek was going through those questions, reading that stuff. Confidence. Okay, this one says it is the color of the rainbow between no wait. You guys, I know it. Never mind. We're moving on. That's the whole show. It's half an hour of that. No one gets any questions in. That's terrible. It's horrible. That's why. That's not real. That, none of that is real. <laughs> the New York Post is making that up to make the fat baby feel better. Uh, here's another one that's not. Here's the one that is real. Uh, shout out to this man's uh, this man's uh, biggest loser of the week, I guess I'll call him. It's Republican Dean Browning. He's a guy who ran and lost for the 2020 Republican primary for U.S. House Pennsylvania District 7. Okay, Earlier this week, he put out a tweet that said, What Trump built in four years, Biden will destroy in four months. Which is sort of a copy tweet I've seen. of a, I've seen this tweet a million times from a million different sources suddenly. Someone responded to him sort of saying, like, blah, blah, you mean what Obama built? Kind of trashing on him, dunking on him. Dean Browning responds from the same account saying, I am a gay black man, and I per- and I personally say that Obama did nothing for me. My life only changed a little bit, and it was for the worse. Just a reminder, Dean Browning is not a gay black man. He is a white dude uh, who's in Congress. Mm. So this man did not switch to his burner account before responding to comments on his own account. My dude, you played yourself. <laughs> Congratulations, bro. Mm. You played yourself. Mm. This is why I don't have a burner account. Every account I have is a real account because I, if I had a burner account, I feel like I would never remember to use it. It would definitely blow up in my face immediately. No, this is ridiculous. These people all need hobbies. I mean, this is <laughs> just push, push Twitter and Facebook into the ocean and, <laughs> and make people learn how to farm. I, I don't even... What, this is... Oh, man. Uh, Terrible. Uh, uh, you want to leave on a good story? My God, please. Awesome. awesome. <laughs> Hit me up. All right. got to give Shout Celeste out. Friend something nice to roll I into. Do. Uh, you know what I mean? This week, I have a, a big friend of the pod. Shout out this mm. week to ESPN uh, ESPN radio host Dan Levitard. Mm-hmm. Uh, earlier this week, I don't know if people saw this. I'm like a sports nerd, so I pay attention to this. Uh, ESPN laid off a huge amount of their staff, like 300 members of their staff earlier mm-hmm. this week, and didn't really announce to people, talent on air, producers, who was getting fired until right beforehand. So this included a lot of, like, producers on podcasts and shows that are really popular. I know um, Katie Nolan had a member of her show cut from their staff without mm-hmm. her telling them. Uh, and this happened to producer Chris Cote, uh, who was very popular on the show. People were very mad. Uh, however, on Wednesday, Dan Levitard, that he was writing, the, uh, writing this wrong on his own. 
Levitard agreed to pay Cote's salary and gave him a raise, explaining that the lack of communication from management regarding his job status was the greatest disrespect of his professional career. Respect. Yeah. Respect to my dude, Dan Levitard, who ste- uh, stepped up and did the right thing. A lot of love. You know, Levitard gets crapped on a lot for being kind of a goof, but I think he's great, and I, I love this story. It's his money where his mouth is. Yeah, I mean, I'm saying, that's all that matters, right? My man's... It's great to see. I mean, it's also uh, gross that he had to do this. Good on yes. him that he, that he did it, but gross that he had to do it. You know what I mean? Shame on them for being uh, so gross and unprofessional. Disgusting. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, who, it's just a shame to see, you know, all this talent, you know, get thrown to the side, right? Like, I, I always sign an error on the side of talent. You know what I mean? Like, I guess because I've... I respect that. So it takes a lot to do that. But even if you're not making as much money, there's got to be a better way than just like, oh, we're firing your staff. See y'all later. Yeah, of Didn't course. Mean, like, there's got to be something else out here. Okay, that's all I have for the first half this week. So let's get into our interview uh, with Utica's third ward common council person and also apparently our neighbor, which I found out. Uh, she lives like right around the street from oh, us. Oh, you didn't know? I didn't know that she was as close as she was. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it was really nice to talk to Celeste. This is the first time we've had a chance to talk. And again, we're talking... Uh, about her referendum to return the 1992 term limits uh, to Utica after they were changed in 2017. I'll let her get into that, plus a lot more. We have a lot in common, I found out. Me and uh, this friend both have a little bit of New York City background. So prepare yourself for that. New York City combo, it's coming up. Uh, all that in just a second with Celeste Friend. right now as we start okay so okay uh but Sounds it's, good. Nice, it's nice to see you um yeah. welcome to the show we appreciate it um so i guess i'll start here because we didn't get a chance to talk beforehand uh the show sure. is really broken up into three parts um okay. introduction where you're from your background uh what we're here to talk about today your main reason we're talking which is of course uh the referendum which we're speaking about on wednesday november 18th at the city council meeting uh, and then we do our lightning round questions at the end, which we do with everyone who's been on the show going all the way back to the very beginning. So okay. if that sounds good with you. Sounds good. Uh, also, before we get started, uh, I have to I have to let you know, I think, and I'm not here to blow up your spot or anything, I think we're neighbors. Oh, okay. Where are you? So I live on Leslie Avenue. Oh, okay. So I'm on Emerson. Okay, so we're right oh, around the corner from you. Right around the corner. <laughs> Where are you on Leslie? Um, I'm now. I'm very close to Howe. Very okay. close. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, I've been here for, God, going on almost five years now since I came back from Brooklyn. Uh, I, I grew up in uh, on Ballantyne Bray in South Utica. Okay, yep. And I moved to New York for to finish up college. And then when I came back, I moved right back to South Utica. Cool, cool, <laughs> cool. I lived in, I was in the city from 88 to 95. Oh, wow, really? Where, yeah. where did you live in the city? Uh, I was most recently in Washington Heights. Oh, nice. Um, but I had also been in Hoboken and I had been in the East Village. So I started in the East Village, went to Hoboken and then came back to Washington Heights. See, when by the time I moved down there, which is, oh boy, you're talking 2007, 2008, right around that era. Okay. 
everyone was moving to Brooklyn. So I was okay. living in, I was living in Bedford Stuyvesant and then I was working in Times Square and I was going to college in the Upper East Side. And then we were doing all of our, you know, late night drinking and such behaviors in the Lower East Side. That's where okay. things right. <laughs> so didn't okay. change all that much. Right. <laughs> uh, so Celeste, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Um, and like I said, you are the third, uh, you, are, you are the Utica Common Council person for the third ward, just for uh, our listeners out there who don't know what that means. What does the third ward encompass? So the third ward is what we usually call South Utica. Mm -hmm. And so it runs from Burstone to New Hartford and from the arterial up to Oneida and also sort of into Proctor Park. And you'll have to Roscoe Conklin Park. Like, so it includes the zoo, for instance, and it includes those, the big cemeteries on Oneida Street. So those are kind of the boundaries of it. So it's, it's the area that people would classically call South Utica. Awesome. And you'll have to correct me if my numbers are wrong here. You ran for this position in 2018. So this is your 2019. And so I was sworn into office on technically New Year's Eve, but I was sworn into office on January 1st of 2020. So this year. Okay, January. So yeah. was this the first time you had run for political office in any way? Yeah, it was, yeah. So I'll jump right to that question because, you know, as someone who's interested in politics, I, you know, I, I, I'm an education person. I, I have my master's in education. I'm interested in teaching, but mm -hmm. so I'm curious about politics, certainly pay attention. But the idea to me of sometimes being involved in politics seems a little like something that I, I don't know, I wasn't sure I always would be interested in. Mm -hmm. What drew you to say, I think now's the time that I wanna do something for the community or do something in the community and in the public field? Right, well, I mean, I'll start by saying first that, um, so I'm also an educator. I teach at SUNY awesome. now. I've taught at Hamilton College. It was Hamilton College that got me uh, to upstate New York. And um, I've taught at a whole lot of the CUNY campuses way back in graduate school. Awesome. I have a PhD in political philosophy and um, had been a full-time academic for a long time. And that eventually landed me in upstate New York and where I decided to stay. And now I'm just a part-time teacher. So I had thought about politics for most of my adult life in very abstract and theoretical ways. Interesting. And in fact, I just, not 10 minutes ago was on the phone with my best friend who lives in Ohio, who is uh, a political theorist. And we were kind of joking about how, like, you know, when we first met, she was really helping me to kind of ground my abstract political ideas into in sort of more down in the empirical world of political science. And she was just kind of giving me a hard time in a, in a loving way just now about how like now I'm much more embedded in politics than she says she will ever be. And it's just sort of interesting to see how that's kind of come full circle for her and I. So, but I would say, so I've thought about, just like you, I've thought about politics my whole life, always cared about politics, always voted, always thought politics was really important. Um, and then moved to Utica in 2005, uh, fell in love with Utica and, and really decided to commit myself to Utica. So it's, you know, it's easy for all of us to say we love Utica, but it's something else to say we're going to sort of make a commitment to Utica. So I feel like I've made a commitment to Utica. It's not my hometown the way that it is for you and the way that it is for so many people, but I really love it and feel a deep sense of connection and commitment to this place. Well, that seems then, like, oh. yeah. Go but, ahead. but that seems like a good way to jump to the beginning for where I want to start here. So okay. you come to Utica in 2005, but where were you, where did you, where would you say you were born and raised? What was your hometown growing up or what would you think, what would you call your hometown? Right. So I was born, I was raised in Needham, Massachusetts, which is hmm. one of the immediate Western suburbs of Boston. Wonderful. 
So yeah. Needham, Newton, Wellesley. Mm -hmm. And I, so I was raised in, in Needham, but spent all my summers um, actually in New Hampshire, in Southern New Hampshire, where I have on both sides of my family, I have long-term connections. And my siblings and I still actually own awesome. um, what was my mother's house and what was my grandparents' house. So I, although I wasn't raised in New Hampshire, uh, but I feel a deeper sense of connection to New Hampshire and it feels like my hometown. Mm -hmm. And when I go home to visit people, I go home to my house in New Hampshire. And I'm but very lucky super privileged and lucky to have yeah. uh, that we can afford uh, by the skin of our teeth to hold on to this family home that's been in my family for generations. So that's where I go back to, but I was raised in the suburbs of Boston. And you actually led into my next question. You said you have uh, brothers and sisters, you said? I do. I have a whole mess of them. I have, so, um, I have uh, six older siblings. Wow. Six. So you're yeah. the youngest of yeah. six. So I'm the youngest of seven. Of I'm the youngest of seven. Yeah. So I'm the youngest yeah. of what about three. You? I'm the youngest of three. Okay. I've always said that even as the youngest of three, I could pretty much get away with whatever I wanted because my parents mm -hmm. have already seen everything. As right. the youngest of seven, could you do whatever you wanted? Um, <laughs> sort of. Yeah, sort of. But it's also like having because my siblings were so much older than me. Sure, it's also sure. like having extra parents, right? right. So Absolutely. my oldest sibling sister is 13 years older than I am. Yeah. So by the time I was five, I was flower girl in people's weddings because my sisters were starting to get married. And so I also had these people who very much functioned like extra sets of parents, which was a good thing. Yeah. And it's funny you say that, you know, my sisters are very close in age and then I'm 10, 11 years behind them. Oh, interesting. So, right. So similarly, I did, you know, as I turned into a teenager, they were already out of the house. Right. 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 So right. we never had. And because of that, I think our relationship has been good. We never had time mm -hmm. to like argue oh, right. I mean, the, like conflict. conflict it was is always good and it still has been for the most part for 35 and years do they still live here one of them lives here she lives mm -hmm. on the in new hartford uh okay. and one lives out in joliet illinois um and she's been there for years with her husband okay. she has a business out there they're, they're doing really well out there i think she misses new york because she's from here mm -hmm. initially but she's done right. a really nice thing out in, in Illinois with the business she started out there and she's been mm -hmm. on the show before. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, now you, so you started off, where did you go to college? You told me initially, you said you went to, I went to UMass Amherst, UMass Amherst. Uh, so, and I stayed there for five years, mm -hmm. um, got in order to get, you know, two separate bachelor's degrees <laughs> and then went immediately from college, went into graduate school uh, to pursue a PhD in philosophy. Um, for the City University of New York, the University yep. Center and Graduate School of the City University of New York, which at the time was on, on um, 42nd Street, yeah. right across from, it was in the old, um, it was right across from the library, from the main branch of the NYPL. See. And now it's moved down to 34th, it's in the old B. Altman building. But it was a different kind of graduate school experience. I wasn't on a campus, I was in an office building, essentially. It's funny you say that, you know, I. I never did the college experience. I have a master's degree from, from Utica College from education, but mm -hmm. my the way I got there is very strained. I didn't follow the path that I think we were, you know, my generation was sort of led to believe we were supposed to follow. You know, I went to community college and then I took some mm -hmm. years off and I was playing in a band. And then mm -hmm. I ended up in the CUNY system as well. I got my bachelor's from Hunter College on- Oh, Asia. Hunter, right. Yeah. yeah. And I loved the CUNY system actually because I was not really interested 
in having the quote unquote right. college experience. Residential college experience. I loved living in New York and taking mm -hmm. the subway to my apartment and working and living that life. I loved that experience. Even right. coming back here to Utica College to finish my degree was even more of a college experience I'd ever had. Mm -hmm. And that was right. late era grad school. But I love the Cooney system. And I don't think, you know, even working in schools, I don't think enough of my students were aware that it even existed. You know, it's the second largest system in the country. So the Cal State system is the largest um, system in the country and CUNY, because yeah. CUNY is separate from SUNY. Mm -hmm. The CUNY system is the second largest, you know, integrated single college system in the country. It's, it's huge and, and an enormous asset to New York City. Now, when you're doing the Amherst thing and you're, did you, what was your plan at that time? Like, what did you think you wanted to do going forward? You know, I don't know. That's a really, that's a good question. I'm not sure I could reconstruct it. Yeah. But part of, I think I knew I want, I liked college. Like I liked being a student. I liked studying things. And, uh, and that's still true of me. And it's, it's even true in terms of how I operate as a council member is that I like studying things and learning them. Um, so I think I knew that I wanted to carry on with that. And then in, I don't know, exactly when in college it happened, but I went down to New York City to, um, to visit a friend and was just like, oh, okay, this will do. Let's do this. Let's do this however, whatever it takes, let's do this. this so when I, I thought about applying for a PhD, I had been a philosophy major in college, um, both a philosophy major and a women's studies major. So I knew I wanted to think about those things. CUNY uh, graduate school had a couple of interesting things. It had the highest proportion of women students. Yes. And philosophy is an extremely male dominated field traditionally. And it also had a fairly high um, proportion of women teachers and feminist teachers and things like that. So I knew that like that was a good fit for me, but I was like, oh, okay, New York City. Yes, so how shall we do that? Okay, we'll go to graduate school here. Well, Hunter, even if I, I think I'm correct here, I wanna say up until 1976 or 77, Hunter was an all women's college. It was it a teacher's until, school. It yeah. was a teacher's college. Yep, yeah. that's right. Uh, and I, yeah, I loved my experience in New York. That being said, I've been gone from New York for, geez, going on five years now. I, mm -hmm. I don't know if I am in my mid thirties getting toward, mm -hmm. I, I think I've, I've moved past what I want from living in that kind of environment now. It's just a lot. Right. I had, those were extremely happy years for me, satisfying, oh, yeah. interesting, great years. I don't think I could ever live there again. No, um, I don't think I could either. It's a hard, it's in some ways a very hard place to live, you know? Uh, so you said 2005 was when you first came to Utica? Yes. I came to Clinton in 2002 mm -hmm. and I bought a house, my house that I live in now on Emerson in 2005. And was that through work that brought you here? Yes. I got a job teaching philosophy at Hamilton College in oh, 02. Such a beautiful And I was a temporary faculty member for five years. And mm -hmm. then uh, that job sort of naturally came to an end. And I was, I had kind of come to the end of uprooting myself, moving to a new place to get an academic job. It's very hard to get a, what they call a tenure track job. Uh, that never happened for me. Uh, and so by the time the Hamilton job had kind of run its course, I had bought a house and committed myself to Utica and had really sort of put down roots here. So I stayed. So let's talk a little bit about the main thing we're here to talk about today. Sure. Uh, you reached out to me earlier this week, and I'm happy that we had a chance to talk about this before Wednesday. So again, I, I have my notes up here, but if I'm wrong, feel okay. free to correct me. Uh, so uh, 
Wednesday, November 18th, this is a Utica Common Council meeting. You will be there and you're looking to reestablish the 1992 established term limits that Utica had that were on the board until 2017. That's correct. Okay. Uh, I know a lot about this. You know, we've, I don't okay. think it's a surprise here that, you know, Joe Marino has been on the show many times going mm -hmm. all the way back to when he was, you know, running for mayor against uh, Mayor Palmieri. That was a big thing that we talked about a lot at the time. I know a lot of people, and again, I, I think I'm a good example of this. I have no personal issue with Rob Palmieri. I've known him for many years. I knew him before he was the mayor. Very nice man to me every time I've ever met him. And, and a good mayor. He does a good job of being a mayor, I believe. Yeah. I have no, I have no personal issue with him. Uh, I just don't believe that anyone, I, I believe the terms, term limits were there for a reason and we have to follow them. That's just sort of how I've always felt. I don't like the idea of extending out term limits. I just never loved it. I was surprised that that wasn't as much of a selling point during that election as I thought it would be. Mm, yeah, yeah, I agree, right. And I don't know exactly why that is, um, but, I'm, but because of it, I'm sort of glad to see that you're bringing this back up and there's gonna be a discussion about it. What sort of, uh, why now suddenly do you feel like we wanna talk about this again when it feels like we Right. Of, just to really, I mean, I, you just did a good job of it, but let me just really briefly. Sure, please. So in 1992, it was a, an issue um, as a referendum and overwhelming um, something like 80% of the people who voted on that referendum and fewer people vote on referendums than vote on ballots because they don't know to turn it over. Right. Exactly. So 80% of that um, of that referendum went for establishing term limits and it was established at eight years for every elected official. There were 12 elected officials in the city of Utica. So that was in 92 and that, that carried over for 25 years, right? Which is, I think a, a number that's important to keep in mind. It's not ancient history, but it's not yesterday either, right? So 25 years ago means a lot of people who are still here now and still voting now voted on that issue. And the vast majority of them voted to put those term limits in place. Mm -hmm. And then in 2017, as you said, uh, the Common Council took up a local law and the legal precedent had already been established that a council could over, override a referendum um, by, it, it didn't undo, it didn't get rid of term limits altogether, it extended them. So it extended the, the length of those limits. So it didn't completely override. And that legal precedent had already been established by Mike Bloomberg in New York City, who mm -hmm. had done a very similar thing in order to stay mayor longer. It was in 2017, incredibly contentious. Yeah. And if you go back to the OD and you look at these articles, um, you look at what happened in the council chambers that night. I was there for one of those votes and it was incredibly contentious. Yeah. People who had been friends with each other almost came to blows. Um, people were, the, the public, um, 18 people spoke at public comment. The room was full of people holding signs. Two former mayors spoke and everybody who spoke said, please don't do this. And not because I think people think eight years versus 12 years is so important, but the voters put this in place. And to simply have nine members of the Common Council simply decide that they no longer care for the will of the voters and they're gonna simply put the will of the voters aside was just an egregious violation of the trust of the voters. That's my view. And I, I, the way that I think about this is that we are in a moment in American history when trust between the electorate and the elected officials is probably at an all time low. Absolutely. And that's, if we think about trust, 
um, and what's involved in that. We're at this all time low. And in 2017, the Common Council completely violated that trust. And in 2020, we overrode a police residency requirement. So I say we because I was on the council. I voted against that. And Frank Miola voted against that. We didn't think that it was right to overturn the will of the voters. The voters had said they wanted all city employees to live in the city, period, full stop. And Chief Williams made a compelling argument as to why we should override this and not put it back to the voters, but simply override it. And we did. Um, I voted against that. And then we also voted uh, a couple weeks after that um, we overrode uh, a paving referendum, which I think is much more sort of uh, much less important than residency requirement and certainly than term limits. So I just really think that we, we the council, um, both the council that I've been on, but also previous councils have done a great deal to erode the trust between the electorate and the elected officials. And we've got to stop that. We've got to start rebuilding trust. Um, and this is how we do it we take back that decision in 2017. We just take it back and we start again. And if people are really committed to the idea that we need a different kind of term limits, fine. We'll come back to the voters, have them make a judgment about that again. But they already said what they wanted. They said it in 92 and in 2017, hundreds of people signed a petition. Um, you know, Scores of people were in the room begging the Common Council, don't do this, don't betray us like this. And the Common Council of 2017, did by a narrow vote too, by five to four. Now, I just want to say you, you mentioned it here in your conversation. I want to make people aware of it. Uh, there is a currently a constitution generated petition on change.org that you've been sharing on the Facebook page. Uh, I've seen people sign it. Uh, and this is in, this is in terms of what you're talking about. Yes. Right. So yeah. uh, I have just, I want to, I want to point it out there for our, uh, for our listeners. I have already shared that on the Uticast page if people want to go find it, but people can also go to your Utica Common Council person Facebook page and see that as well. Yes, and I, I and I need to put up a new link to that so that okay. it's up at the top of my council page, but it is there. It might even be pinned to the top for all I know. So that's a change.org petition that somebody, one of my constituents started um, sort of unbeknownst to me. It was something he and I had talked about in the past that was important. Uh, to do something about. And then he started it. I don't know when he started it. You'd have to look and it must have a date on it. And then he he forwarded it to me on Thursday, Wednesday night, Thursday morning. I'm not quite sure. Um, and that was what got me off. Um, that, what, that was what, in, you know, uh, got me off and running with this. So I then I wrote the legislation, which is an extremely easy piece of legislation to yes. write. Some legislation is really complicated. This was not. Yeah. Uh, and I also sort of, you know, just threw together a press release about it. So, and I, I had to do that on Thursday because the Common Council operates under what's called the Thursday rule. Mm -hmm. So legislation that is considered on a Wednesday has to be submitted to the council by the prior Thursday. So I got this, this, this uh, petition from this constituent on Wednesday or Thursday. And then I, um, I kind of put together the legislation and the press release. And I have a question for you, and I'm not sure that you would have the answers to this necessarily, but at the time when this was overturned, what was the reasoning people felt like they had for overturning it? What was the argument for extending the limits? Yeah, uh, I'm not sure what the public facing argument was. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I, I, I don't have a good answer for you. <laughs> okay, uh, I was just curious. I know the one councilman went on the went on the radio, and I'm I'm happy to repeat this because he was quite he went on the radio and said this. Hmm. Uh, you do favors for your mayor because your mayor asks. Hmm. So um, I don't know whether that's everybody's reasoning. I and I let me just say here in general, I in general am always very hesitant to speak for my colleagues. They can speak for themselves. Um, so I, I don't know what the public facing reason would be, you know. Now, we've talked a little bit about sort of that contentious atmosphere that existed during that meeting. And I just wonder, you know, I've noticed it, it's obvious with national politics. Does it feel like sometimes the the sort of the flavor of national politics is sort of sprinkling its way down to these local conversations? Um, yes, except that it's not so clearly kind of Republican versus Democrat. It's less partisan than that right here in the city. Um, I mean, not that there aren't two parties yeah. here in the city, but like most cities in the Northeast, unlike most cities in general, we are, um, most of our registered voters are Democrats. And that's just a, a demographic fact about America. That that's uh, most urban dwellers prefer the Democratic Party. So yes, I think that there is some of that here, but it, it doesn't quite fall along. It doesn't cleave so evenly along that line of of, um, of party. And again, I, I think that, you know, the issue, the way in which what happens at the national level filters down into the local level for me is about, again, that question of trust. I mean, I just had, you know, my voters, my constituents, I don't even know if they're my voters, I don't know who voted for me, but my constituents say to me, why should I ever vote? Because you guys just do whatever you want. Don't make me ever vote on another referendum because you just do what you want. And I've heard that a lot this year, in part because twice this year, the council has overridden um, other referenda. And I have to be really honest here. I voted to override one of those, the paving one. I don't feel good about it. I think I actually wish if I could wave a magic wand and go back, I think I would have done that differently. It was beginning of COVID and we were thinking in generally about just scaling back financially. How do we rein in the finances of the city as we look out at this, the monster headed towards us? And it's not an excuse, because you know, it comes up in every conversation we have. I think we, it's hard to understate how singular this COVID epidemic and pandemic feels like in our lifetime. We really, there is no guideline that we can go back to for how this is all supposed to work today. And we're all trying our best, it feels like most right. people are. Right. Right. And there's no way to say we, we couldn't predict how bad will the financial hit yeah. be. We, and, and we still have no idea. Is our, is our state aid coming to us or not? And if our state aid doesn't come to us, you know, everybody hold on to your chairs because it's going to be, there are going to be some really rough times ahead for the city. That's an enormous percentage of our budget, which is, you know, just a quick time to insert the fact that this is something I think a lot of people don't understand. Um, it is not the case that the entire city budget depends upon your property taxes, mm -hmm. right? We, we get a lot of, we get a lot of resources from a lot of places, um, which is good. That means that the, that the residents are not bearing the full burden of running the city, but it also means that, um, you know, if, the if we don't get that state aid, we're going to go times So I just have to ask, uh, so for Wednesday, November 18th, Obviously, this is not going to be an in-person meeting, obviously, because of COVID. No, it is for us. We meet in person, but the public doesn't come, right? So, and people can view this through, is there going to be a video platform or? There is a YouTube, Utica has a YouTube channel. 
Um, and we run all of the, all of the public meetings um, are, are public on YouTube. I shouldn't say all of them, some are WebEx, mm -hmm. um, but, or uh, now I'm feeling technically. Uh, <laughs> That's okay. There is a YouTube channel. And if, and if so anybody who has a computer and has the internet, you should bookmark your city of Utica YouTube channel awesome. and the meeting will be aired on YouTube. Very good. And uh, again, if people want to reach out to contact you or have any questions about anything going on, where can people reach you specifically? Celeste for Utica at gmail.com. Celeste for Utica at gmail.com. I also have a Facebook page, uh, Celeste Friend, Utica Common Council, something yeah. like that. And I also have a Twitter handle, which is uh, Celeste for Utica at Celeste for Utica. That's Very my good. Twitter handle. So those are all those are all good ways to get hold of me. I, I would like to say if people feel really strongly about this and and um, and they want to weigh in as people did in 2017, people can email the city clerk and ask her to forward that email to the council since they can't come in public to the meeting. And that is city clerk at cityofutica.com. Yes, I, I have that because there's a dot org and that's Utica, Michigan. Really? Yes. And huh. we have, there are two email addresses in the world, cityclerk <laughs> at cityofutica.com, cityclerk at cityofutica.org. And the dot org goes to Michigan. So and, uh, dot com, folks. <laughs> dot com. And that email address, if you forget it, can be found right on the city um, website. So you go to cityofutica.com and you look under city clerk and there's the email address. And if you email the clerk, she will forward it to the council. Uh, Celeste, before I get to our lightning round questions, I just have to ask, when I was doing my research uh, on the web here, getting ready for your interview, are you doing some sort of like jewelry manufacturer as well? I, uh, I do many things. Uh, <laughs> and so I teach part-time at SUNY, as I said, and I am on the Common Council. I'm also the executive director of an arts festival in Norwich, New York that happens once a year, Colorscape Shenango Arts Festival. And I also run a small jewelry business and it's called Celeste Friend Designs. And um, I design, produce and market my own line of high quality handmade sterling silver jewelry. That's wonderful. Yeah, uh, I do that in Utica. And my studio window looks out, swear to God, it's on a third floor at Four Elements and oh, it's nice. right over City Hall. Oh, awesome. Okay, I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My binoculars on the windowsill and I can, you know, who's coming, who's going. See, all the, see, the only stuff I get caught up with the Handshake City stuff is we're all stuck down in the middle of nowhere. I'm only near, I'm just doing right. like, we're all stuck in right, that. Right, right. Uh, right. So, Celeste, like, I have to ask, but again, before we get to our lightning round questions, uh, I just want to say, I noticed this in your website. You've already said on your Facebook that you're planning on running again in 2021. Uh, so you're already ready to go again. You, you're you ready to keep this going for the long run. Probably. Oh, I'm, yeah. I'm, um, this is going to sound glib, but I'm having the time of my life. But I don't mean that in like, woo, right. this is so much fun. But I mean, this is the most satisfying thing I've ever done in my life. I yes. mean, and um, yeah, representing people, helping them, helping them navigate their government, helping them figure out who's going to take out that tree stump. I mean, even all that kind of stuff, those sort of really basic constituent services, learning how government works. I, I am, this is, um, yeah, I'm not going anywhere. And, uh, and I'm, I, you know, and I hope that the people of South Utica will have me back. So we want to thank Celeste for coming on again. Celeste, our 
uh, Utica Common Council person for the third ward. Again, before you go, uh, these are our lightning round questions that we do with everyone who's been on the show. Don't feel okay. like you need to rush through them, okay. just call them lightning round. Uh, so Celeste, when you wake up in the morning, how do you take your coffee? Uh, cream or milk, no sugar. No sugar. No sugar. <laughs> Very good. I tried to do that over the year. I still have yet to get off iced coffee this year. I know it's like cold out now, but I'm still I'm, drinking iced coffee. Iced coffee is the best thing about summer. Yeah. Uh, and it, not only because it's so good, but because you make it the night before. Yes. And so you wake up and your coffee has been made. I don't understand why everybody isn't on board with me. On that. <laughs> uh, what was your first automobile? Oh, it was a Chevy Nova. Yes. Uh, it was a 77 Chevy Nova with a 350 V8 under the hood. I'm, I swear to God, Kelly Green, two door coupe. It was, it, it was, it. it was an awesome car. What I would give to have that car back. That was a great car. A 350 V8 under the hood. Hello. Well, you may or may not have taken your Chevy Nova to see it, but what was your first live music event? Oh, wow. I'm not as much of a live music person as some of you are. Hmm. Um, and oh, and so this is gonna appall people. Can I appall people? Awesome, it, yes, might been, it might have been Jimmy Buffett on the Boston Common. Really? Yeah, <laughs> Margaritaville, baby. Was that, see, Jimmy Buffett always seems like sort of just like a, an idea in my head. I can't imagine like a time when Jimmy Buffett was like a, like he was out there killing it. He was out there. He was out there <laughs> singing Margaritaville live on stages, yeah. Uh, give me, uh, Okay, so let me frame this question here for you, okay? Okay. You are the World Wrestling Federation Women's Heavyweight Champion. You're okay. walking down to the ring. The crowd is cheering your name. Right. What song would you want playing in the background as you walk down to the ring? Eye of the Tiger. Eye of the Tiger. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> uh, what's one... It's the thrill of the fight. <laughs> what's up? What's one category on Jeopardy that you think you'd be better at than anybody else? The wives of Henry VIII. Oh, very good. I would nail that category. <laughs> uh, this is one of our tougher questions. If you could have dinner with any person, living or dead, who is not your relative, who would it be and why? I was gonna say my dad, but then you, um, living or dead. Could it, you know, I'm tempted to say Aristotle, mm -hmm. but Aristotle wouldn't be willing to talk to me because I'm just a woman and That's not correct. a fully formed human being. So that would probably, I'd actually find it really frustrating, but Aristotle. <laughs> uh, and then the same thing for Kant, right? Immanuel Kant. And then it's the same thing. He's like, you. Um, so, because I want it to be a philosopher, you know? Hmm. Um, yeah. Maybe Wittgenstein. Okay. Fun to hang out with Wittgenstein. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, give me uh, one book, album, movie, or television show you are currently reading, listening to, or watching. Well, we're watching The Queen's Gambit right now, mm -hmm. and I would say we're about halfway through it. That is great. That character, so compelling. So that's, yeah, yeah. And so last, last but not least, before I let you go, and I want to thank you for taking so much time, uh, besides... Uh, working in the community, besides uh, pol uh, politics, besides jewelry, besides education, uh, the art festivals you work, give me one more thing that you are passionate about. Um, 
so there are like things that I would say, but except I think that they're taken up by those categories. You know, yeah, sure. I, I'm a big gardener and I really like to uh, both to grow some vegetables. I don't have a lot of room for vegetables and flowers. And, uh, and I really believe in, um, in gardening sustainably. So I like have a compost and I don't use artificial anythings and I try to create a, co a closed loop. My garden is like a closed loop where all my waste goes into the compost and then comes back into the gardens. So I feel really strongly about gardening. And the last couple of years I've gotten really obsessive about dahlias. So I grow dahlias in front of my house now. And uh, I'm the, you know, since you live so near me, I am the house with all the flowers out front on Emerson, the purple that, house that has flowers instead of grass. Uh, I was, that was how the house was described to me by another one of my neighbors up the street who told me, I think she's your neighbor. Okay, <laughs> yeah. okay, there you go. So, so yeah, I, I, I really, do, I like to sort of fill all my little spaces with flowers, so. Celeste, thank you so much for taking some time. Uh, like I said, uh, Wednesday, November 18th uh, is the City uh, Common Council meeting. Uh, and again, for our listeners, I'll put all the links uh, in this week's episode. But thank you so much for spending time with yeah, me. Yeah, thanks for having me, Sam. This was really fun. I'd love to do it again. Anytime. It's a pleasure. Take care. Yes. Okay, take care. Again, to Celeste's friend, uh, again, if you want to watch the Common Council meeting, it is Wednesday night at 6 p.m. You can go to the City of Utica's YouTube page. If you're interested in signing the legislation, you can go to Celeste's Facebook page and sign the petition. It takes all of 10 seconds on change.org. Okay, ready for some history lessons, bro? Here we are. Ready for those history lessons? Here we are. <laughs> We're going back a far, a long time on this one. On this day... Uh, 1534, Francisco Pizarro traps the Incan emperor Atahualpa. I hope I said that right, because I'll have to say it a couple more times. <laughs> um, the Spanish explorer and conquistador sprang a trap on the Incan emperor with fewer than 200 men against 7,000. Pizarro lured the emperor to a feast in the emperor's honor and then open-fired on the unarmed Incans. Pizarro's men massacred the Indians and captured Atahualpa. I can't, God. I'm never going to get that right. Forced him to convert to Christianity before eventually killing him. Man, dark times. Uh. Uh, yeah, all these explorers. It's like something I learned as a kid, like doing well. Like you, when you're a kid, you read about all the explorers. It's like, oh, here's Magellan. Here's Christopher Columbus. Here's all these guys. And then you go back later on and do your history research and you read the stories. It's like, oh, they killed so many people. <laughs> they just murdered people and forced them to become Catholic. Uh, so the emperor was meant to be burned at the stake. They were believing, the Spanish believed this was a fitting death for a heathen, as mm. you do, right? Obviously. Uh, but at the last moment, they offered the emperor clemency if he would convert, to which he did do. He converted to Catholicism, but then he was executed by strangulation. So they said, convert, and they killed his ass anyway. Of course they did. <sighs> that day was August 29, 1533. Fighting between the Spanish and Incas would continue well after his death as Spain consolidated its conquest Pizarro's bold victory, however, effectively marked the end of the Inca Empire and the beginning of European colonization of South America. Mm. Man, they love to colonize stuff. <laughs> People loved land, even back then. 
People, people, I mean, yeah. People be loving Lance. Uh, follow up from last week on this day, 1941. Uh, Joseph Goebbels per, uh, published his Screed of Hate, the German magazine Das Reich, claiming that the Jews wanted war and now they have it, referring to Nazi propaganda scheme to shift the blame of the world war onto European Jews, thereby giving the Nazis a rationale for their so-called final solution. Little known fact, uh, the, the publisher of that uh, was actually his first time ever publishing anything, uh, Rupert Murdoch. <laughs> no, okay. You know, that's and we were talking about the Proud Boys thing earlier. That's the kind of shit that I get when I read all this shit. When I see all well, these, because it's the same stuff. It's the same shit. It's yeah, all yeah. like the it's all the Jews' fault. Yeah, yeah. It's all mm-hmm. like all that like Jews are not replace those bullshit. I'm yeah. not Jewish, but it's like, come on, dude. Like this it's is dumb. obvious Nazi bullshit. Like this is well, some yeah. yeah. This feels terrible. No, they like it. They do. <laughs> Just, they like it. It makes them feel special. <laughs> just two days earlier, British Prime Minister Winston Churchill, having read more than a dozen decoded messages from German police, uh, had written a letter to the Jewish Chronicle saying that the Jewish had bore the brunt of the Nazis' first onslaught upon the, uh, the citadels of freedom and human dignity. He has not allowed it to break his spirit, and he will never uh, lose the will to resist. Uh, but it was proving too late as Goebbels, uh, Goebbels, Himmler, and the rest of Hitler's henchmen carried out the elimination of the Jews using propaganda and anti-Bolshevik rhetoric to infuse RS soldiers with enthusiasm uh, for their work. Yeah, I mean, I think it's like the weird... Oh, we've talked about it a million times, right? I was just watching some video last week about a group of wrestlers, you know, because I love professional wrestling. Yes. Uh, and I'll put their names out there because who gives a shit? Don and Ron Harris. They're these two brothers. And if you look at old pictures of Ron and Don Harris... Those dudes got SS tattoos just, like, out in public in 1993. They were supposed to be, like, berserkers from, like, the Viking North. And I'm like, yo, it's very clear. Mm-hmm. Damn. All the secret Nazi shit's been going on this whole time. Well, ain't been a secret. On <laughs> this day, 1973, in the midst of the Watergate scandal that eventually ended his presidency, Richard Nixon told a group, told a group of newspaper editors gathered at Washington, uh, at Walt Disney World in Orlando, Florida, that he is... Not a crook. Uh, he made his now famous declaration during a televised question and answer session with AP editors, uh, and he appeared tense to a New York Times reporter who questioned uh, when questioned about his role in the Watergate burglary scandal and the efforts to cover up the fact that members of his reelection committee had funded the break-in. Uh, the whole quote is: "People have to get to know whether uh, people have to get to know whether or not their president is a crook." Well, I'm not a crook. I've earned everything I've got. That's the full quote. He did, however, admit that it was he was at fault for failing to supervise the fundraising activities. It is my fault that I didn't know what any of my people were doing. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't do this, even though it helped me. But it was all bad actors. Uh, at one point during the discussion, Nixon gave a morbid response to an unrelated question about why he chose not to fly with backup uh, to Air Force One when traveling. Quote, if this one plane goes down, they don't have to impeach me. Which he later went on to say was a joke and that he was trying to be funny. But it sort of talked about like his sort of strained physical and mental health at the time while this was going on. Mm. Uh, in the book, uh, All the President's Men, Nixon was described at the time as being a prisoner in his own house. Secretive, distrustful, combative, and sleepless. Uh, Nixon's protestations of innocence with regard to the Watergate cover-up were eventually eroded by relentless federal investigation. Mm. I'm just going to throw this out there. If I replaced Nixon's name in the last like paragraph with Donald Trump's, would it feel any different? All of this stuff about like a prisoner in his own house, secretive, combative, distrustful, like, like vigorously proclaiming his innocence that he's not a crook? Yeah, it would sound mild. It's, 
does sound mild. Sounds uh, quaint. It does kind of sound <laughs> almost charming criminals. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Terrible. Terrible stuff. All right. On this day, 1975. Here's a nice light one. Uh, one Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest uh, was released, uh, directed by Milos Forman, uh, based on the 1962 novel. Uh, the film stars Jack Nicholson as Randall McMurphy, a new patient at a mental institution, and features a supporting cast of Louise Fletcher, Will Sampson, and the film debuted, debuts of Christopher Lloyd, Danny DeVito, and Brad Dourif. You may know him as Chucky. <laughs> the voice of Chucky. Uh, filming took place in January of 1975 on location in Salem, Oregon and the surrounding area. Uh, considered to be one of the greatest films ever made, One Flew Over Cuckoo's Nest is ranked number 33 on the American Film Institute's 100 Years 100 Movies list. It is the second movie to win all five major Academy Awards, which is Best Picture, Best Actor, Best Actress, Best Director, and Best Screenplay. The only other movie to do that was It Happened One Night in 1934. It was not repeated until 1991 with the uh, with the classic Silence of the Lambs. Also won numerous Golden Globes and BAFTA awards. The film was deemed culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant by the United States Library of Congress and selected for preservation in the National uh, Film Registry. Kevin, I'm going to tell you right now, uh, you have a thing you refer to me as when, I, when we're watching some sort of a streaming service, if we're watching Netflix or... Hulu, you call me, you call it like my J.R. Smith moment, which is when I'll just decide that something is going on. I say say that you are like J.R. Smith with the play button because you have no conscience as a shooter. Shooter. Just, Just, you will be, yeah, it'll happen. I'll see you scrolling through something and just out of nowhere, you'll just send it with the play. It happened the other day. We were hanging out, and like there was like a football game, and you were scrolling and just like sort of looking at Netflix on your phone for a minute, then all of a sudden, we watched all of Ocean's 13. Yep. I didn't know when talked about Ocean's Thirteen. Ocean's Thirteen <laughs> had come movie. up. Of course, it's a great movie. I'm not. This isn't a negative thing because at the end of the day, I would probably wa- rather watch whatever comes on the play button than like just you know a TNA retrospective or whatever. Sure. So I'm always interested to see how the play button works. But no conscience, so you never quite know what you're gonna get. I'm gonna tell you right now, this movie, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, was about to get shot as a shot before I came upon Ocean's Thirteen. Because oh, okay. it's uh, it's available on Netflix, and you'll probably... It's been having a bit of a resurgence on Netflix. I know a lot of people have been watching it in the last few months since they added it. So I'm going to give you a claim, and I don't know... I can only think of a couple arguments for it. I think this is Apex Nicholson. I think this is the best Jack Nicholson movie. Um, or his best performance in a movie, I would say. Yeah, maybe. maybe. I was trying to you think... Know what, honestly, you know what it really comes down to? There's a lot of Jack Nicholson movies that I can pretend to have seen, but I certainly have not from, like, the 60s and 70s. So I have the list... So it's tough for me to really say that. I have the list in front of me, and I'll, I'll throw a couple at you that I thought had some potential, right? Not The Departed. No, no not The Departed. <laughs> I'm not going to say Easy Rider. I've never actually seen it. I'm just Correct. familiar with the idea of it. Same with Five Easy Pieces. If someone from my stepdad's age wants to come chat me up yeah. about... Chinatown or Three Easy Pieces. Yeah, Chinatown, that seems like a big one. Uh, One Flow of the Cuckoo's Nest for me is just like, he's so good in that role. It's just the perfect distillation of his, so don't you want to watch the game, Chief? Put your hand in the air. He's (laughs) manic, but he's like charming and a little creepy. I hear you. So let me throw a couple other options at you. How about The Shining? It's five years later. That's what most people would say. He won an Academy Award for this and not for The Shining. That's sort of where I go. They don't give Academy Awards to horror movies now, let alone in 1980. He wins another Academy Award in 83 for Terms of Endearment, which people uh, love that movie. Never seen it. I can't really speak to. I'm a big fan of The Witches of Eastwick, but that's just me. Never seen that. (laughs) Prizzy's Honor. Familiar with that one? No. 
I mean, the Joker. The jo- that's great. Good uh, stuff. Back. I mean, there's a, kind of a bad run here, though, coming. He does a few good men, which he's in for a couple minutes. Mm-hmm. Did you see Hoffa? Uh, you a fan you, of Hoffa? I saw a bit of Hoffa like, when I was really good? young. It's probably... I, if it's just Jack Nicholson <laughs> shouting like Jimmy Hoffa, I gotta imagine it's all right. How about 1994's Wolf, where he is a wolf man? Oh, gosh. I, that one I used to see on the shelves, the video rental place, but I've never seen it, I don't think. Uh, 96, he plays two roles in the movie Mars Attacks, gets killed in both roles. Classic. Kind of don't like Mars Attacks, honestly. It's it's Mars Attacks has like very little rewatchability, but like for being ahead of its time and kind of weird, the type of movie that could only really exist the way it did in its time. Right, of its time movie. Uh, and then he wins Academy Award again the next year for As Good As It Gets, which I probably watched a mm-hmm. hundred times as a kid. I couldn't tell you why. I had That on... seems like, I bet that's like one of your mom's favorite movies. I feel like that's a movie your mom would like, right? Back then, probably. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't yeah, know if definitely. she's watched it since, but I had right. it on VHS as a kid because my family would just tape shit. Yeah. And I thought it was hilarious. I thought oh, yeah. Nicholson was hilarious in that movie. I don't know if it holds up now. It's been a really long time since I've watched it. After that, you're getting into, like, The Pledge, about Schmidt, Anger Management, something's gotta oh, give. Oh, whoa, Anger Management was good. I never really saw Anger Management. Really? No, no, I missed out on that one. Oh. is it, it's Nick, That's him it, and Sandler, right? Yeah, it is. Yeah. If you, Let me tell you something. If you're J.R. Smithin' one day, <laughs> that's a nice hour for, after we do this podcast, you should watch Anger Management. Do you know he hasn't made a movie since 2010? Yeah, he's he's done. He's he, like, he's, he's infirm. I mean, not infirm, yeah, but like, yeah. he can't. He's old. He's an old. He's an old man who lived pretty hard. So would we argue that The Departed in 2006 is the last legitimate movie he was in, like a big time hit movie? Whether yeah. or not we like it as much as other ones. I, I listen. I like The Departed, but like even in The Departed, you could tell that he had lost a couple clicks off his fastball compared to even as good as it gets. Honestly, you know what I mean. Even, even, and the problem too, because and you don't know this because you haven't seen Anger Management. But the problem is that he plays the exact same character in Anger Management, <laughs> and that came out first, so it's hard to take him super seriously in The Departed. I can't stop You thinking. really should watch Anger Management. I can't stop thinking about that scene in The Departed where he's talking to the priests now <laughs> in the bar. That's all I can think of. That's, that's the entire Anger Management movie, <laughs> except also Derek Jeter and Roger Clemens are in it. <laughs> Yo, shout out to Derek Jeter, who's also in the movie The Other Guys, and like a vital part mm. of the movie The yeah, Other yeah. Guys, and the nickname The Yankee yeah. Clipper, yeah. which is hilarious. Um, mm-hmm. All right, so there you go. There's our... Do we want to do the other history lesson today? I guess the other history one I was... Oh, wait, what is it? Jonestown Massacre. Oh, very sad. Yeah. I can see it. Uh, Jim Jones, don't don't pay attention to uh, Catholic sex who try cults, and get you to do death poison. Death cults are bad, kids. Death cults, bad. Death cults, bad. Yeah, it feels like a lot. I won't dig into it. Look no, up, the, no, look no. up Jonestown if you want. It is a fascinating story, but I don't know what kind of casual conversation we can get into talking about Jonestown Massacre. <laughs> like cult murders and like cult horrible murders. political things and like the plague. <laughs> All right, well here's a lo- here's a local story. Okay, uh, earlier this week it was announced that Rockefeller Center had put up its Christmas tree for 2020. That Christmas tree, of course, was brought in from Oneonta, New York. That's right. The local tree is 75 feet tall. It is 11 tons, this Norway spruce. uh, And it will be set up in New York City for the remainder of the holiday season. And I gotta tell you, people on Twitter are mad. Mm. So mad. People on Twitter are always mad. Have you looked at the picture of the tree? Of course not. Okay. I'm going to give this a couple days, because what I imagine happened is this. I've seen the picture of the tree originally, the tree they cut down. Yeah. They cut the tree down, they wrap it up to take it to New York, they put it up 
Yeah. And the tree is still essentially not settled. You know what I'm saying? Like, it yeah, hasn't yeah. come back down. Mm-hmm. The picture looks terrible. Right, like right now, if you go look at it, it looks like garbage. And it's just people being like, that's 2020's Christmas tree in a nutshell. So, I'm going to go ahead, and this is a hot take. I'm going to go ahead and trust the tree scientists and the people who do this for a living to have this covered over the random Twitter eggs that somebody I know liked their tweet. I'll say this. If the tree still looks next week like it did in the picture yesterday, it's not great. Fair but I, I'm I'm going to believe that the tree has not yet settled into it what it looked like before they cut it because it doesn't even look like the same tree. Makes you know what I'm sense. saying? Yeah, like yeah. It, it's, I would give it a couple more days. Yeah, I was enjoying all the dunking though. It was pretty funny. <laughs> I have to admit. So all the, this is 2020 in a nutshell kind of dunking on it was pretty funny. Uh, here's a fun article for you. Uh, another free read for you. This article of the week. This is from The Atlantic. It's the intro to Barack Obama's new memoir, A Promised Land, which you can read the opening chapter of on The Atlantic. It's called I Am Not Ready. I'm Not Yet Ready to Abandon the Possibility of America. So Atlantic if- is one that's that's right on the wire of me hitting this, uh, doing a subscription. Yep. You know what's cool about The Atlantic? If you subscribe is they will send you a monthly issue to your house. Yeah. As well as the online, which is pretty tight. Um... I mean, I'm not going to read the whole thing. It's re- it's just really please, nice. Please don't read me the whole article. <laughs> I'm just going to say, if you are, if you ever feel bad about like the way politicians seem to be portrayed today, and like just the classiness of the way he writes and the earnestness, and you can like almost hear him saying it the way he writes it. He's you want to hear somebody who can complete a sentence and a coherent thought and speak in a paragraph, yeah, uh, <laughs> with a through line from start to finish of the same point. Uh, my favorite story that came out of this this week uh, is that Barack Obama did say in an interview with CBS Sunday Morning that he would not take a position in Joe Biden's cabinet if uh, the president-elect offered it because, quote, That's he fears question. because he fears Michelle would leave him, <laughs> which is my favorite line of this whole thing. He's like, I saw him talking on. He, he did an interview with uh, 60 Minutes, I think, to promote it. He was talking about how like Michelle was mad when he was going to run for president, and he had to go for it. And he was talking about the whole with, with some good humor about how she's still like even when he was president, she was like, "You did this," you know what I mean? It's uh, <laughs> yeah, it's it's really good. I, I'm I'm gonna buy his new book. I imagine. I guess I'll read it. Mm. I, uh, I'm always kind of down about reading, like, a politician's, like, post-politics book, necessarily. I'm not always excited for it, but I, I do like him, certainly. Huh. And I'd like to hear what he has to say about the world that's taken place since he's left. You know right. I mean? uh, here's a story for you that I found that has nothing to do with politics. Uh, earlier this week in New York, a 200-person unlicensed fight club was disbanded by sheriffs, according to officials in local reports. Guys. Uh, it was called... <laughs> Rumble in the Bronx, and uh, there was discovered uh, drinking, smoking, and fighting, and of course, not a lot of social distancing. Patients were observed drinking alcohol, smoking, doing hookah, not wearing face coverings, also fighting, <laughs> fist fighting. <laughs> uh, also, I like this quote because I always like when they have to report things like this. Uh, according to the New York Sheriff, there was quote unquote a significant amount of marijuana. <laughs> Which I just like the terminology that the problem, like, yeah, everyone was really high. There was smoke coming out of the building. Mm-hmm. People were fist fighting. Uh, I mean, damn, New York. <laughs> it never changed? I don't know. Pretty wild. I, I'm sure that I assumed that real fight clubs existed. Of course. I just, uh, is there a Utica fight club? Are we aware? Is it, do we know of any Utica fight clubs? I mean, how, it, it's not, it's not really super different from going to any kind of like, 
MMA dojo or anything like that. It's that's certainly a little more like sanctioned and quote unquote safe, but like uh, this looks like a party. <laughs> but I'm saying like yeah, a lot, yeah. A, lot, a lot of people get together yeah. and fight for sure. People like to fight. Uh, surprising, uh, the comp- uh, the man Michael Roman, the CEO of Rungle in the Bronx, did not respond. Uh, when asked about this from multiple news sources. First, first rule of Fight Club. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's facing, facing eight charges, including unlawful assembly and conducting a prohibited combat This is sport. one of those things where, like, they got you and you get what you deserve. You know, you're breaking the laws, you're doing the stuff, so you get it. But, I, you know what? <laughs> uh, let's do a little doomsday report here for you. Uh, I got three of them. Uh, one is about the military. Uh, earlier this week, uh, the U.S. military announced they'll be putting what they're calling death rays on their fighter jets. Uh, don't be too worried, though. These laser systems are mostly used as a defensive system to protect fighters from oncoming missiles. Uh, sure. Maybe don't call them death rays. <laughs> then I just don't like the idea of fighter pilots with lasers flying around. Although, I guess we're kind of behind. I've seen if all the Star Wars ours, movies. I certainly do. Yeah, the Tactical Airborne Laser Weapon System. Uh, which is a pod-mounted laser developed on behalf of the Air Force Research Lab. Again, supposed to be able to shoot down incoming air-to-air and surface-to-air missiles. Here's my thing. I certainly think that we could rethink our national defense strategy and certainly our defense budget. But yes, at the end of the day, am I glad that that I've got that we've got this one? Mm. That we've got the U.S. military? I'll take that. So yeah, put the lasers on the planes. That's fine. I'm into it. Uh, earlier this week, a 39,500-year-old bear was found completely preserved in the permafrost. If I've learned anything... Scientists say he was furious. (laughs) First off, the picture of this shows like a person touching the bear. Yeah. Don't do that. I would not touch that. It's frozen. So what? So it's frozen. (laughs) It doesn't... touch it. Science is real. Nah, dude. You can't... Shouldn't touch it. That shit's... You don't know what's on that thing. You don't know what's... Right. What is the COVID time? Should you be rubbing up against dead bear carcasses? Well, COVID here? time should be washing hands. Ah, rub up against any bear carcass ah, you want. You got the regimen for the ah, hand washing. Yeah, yeah. Nah, these are fucking primordial diseases, man. This shit comes primordial from primordial bear diseases. Primordial bear They're diseases. Coming. The permafrost is oh, it's such a problem. <laughs> and last but not least, uh, a story that you shared oh, with the me. Goddamn permafrost. The last doomsday report, which you shared with me this week. Um, Uh, Earlier this week, more than 100 sarcophagi uncovered in Egypt have begun being opened by scientists. Yo, mummy caskets for those of you that don't watch Brendan Fraser films. Uh, Yeah, that's 100 mummy caskets they found, so they're going to open them. Yo, I'm going to quote my dude Chase Serrano uh, on Twitter about this. Watch a fucking movie. Any movie you've ever seen. (laughs) What is happening? Oh my god. Put them back. Put the mummies back. There's no reason. The argument is just like, oh, it's going to help bring back Egyptian tourism. Bitch, no. no. Staying away from the mummies. Don't tell me the mummies are there. I'm going to go away from where the mummies are. Thank you. No thank you. Uh, also, <laughs> I just want to shout out uh, my favorite joke of the week. Okay, This is for folks out there. I want you to go to this website and just do yourself this favor. DJTrumpLibrary.com just go, just go to that website, okay. tjtrumplibrary.com. Read through it. Have yourself a laugh. All right, uh, Kev, what is your Spotify song of the week? Do you have a Spotify pick this oh week? Oh, boy, oh, boy. Let me pull up the little playlist here on my phone. I did already put songs on it, so I can't mm-hmm. talk about some of my songs this week. 
but I'm not prepared to have my window open either. So I'm going to do what's called vamping right now, where I just say <laughs> stuff. It means absolutely can, nothing. Will I, I can, scroll through my phone and take a look. No, please, because I'm here. I've got a couple tracks for you this week. I love it. See, see what we did. That is great. Perfect. Um, I got a text this morning from a good friend of mine who said he was like, "Hey, I just listened to Radiohead for mm-hmm. the first time. They're mm-hmm. like really good." I got really excited and we were talking about it because I love the band. So um, I put what I feel is a very underrated song in their catalog, the song Where I End and You Begin. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a Radiohead song that I like a lot. I think it's underrated amongst the list of their songs and it's also pretty accessible. Yeah. Sometimes Radiohead can get spacey and weird, yeah, like downer. It's not for everybody, but this track I think is, uh, is an underrated one that people will be very much into. Uh, and then let me look. I put... Ghost Town by The Specials. Yeah! Uh, A very very famous uh, DVD (laughs) menu song. If you've ever watched the movie Snatch, the DVD menu to play, that beginning little organ line before the horns drop is from Snatch. Uh, Netches, they came in. It's not made the cut for like three weeks mm-hmm. now. I was gonna put it on mm-hmm. the Halloween. It keeps not getting it. So, uh, Ghost Town by the Specials. All right, I got two for you that I'll talk about this week. My list is already made. One. Uh, so, what happens a lot of time to pull back the curtain on the shows after the show's done, and I'm doing the edits for the show, and we're sort of hanging out, chatting afterwards. Mm-hmm. A lot of times, I'll put the playlist on on Spotify, and we'll just listen to it and listen talk the about playlist. the music, yeah, and just, yeah. you know, talk about music because we like to do that. Uh, two things. Last week, Kevin put a song called Fuji La by the Fugees. Shout out. To which we got in a conversation about Praz. I was like, yo, Praz, what happened to Praz? And then we started talking about Ghetto Superstar by Praz, and it was stuck in my head all week, and now it's on the list. So kind of a, I don't know if that counts as like a, a it's not a Fuji song two weeks in a row. Certainly The Praz is back this week. Fuji adjacent. And I also have to do a correction, which is something I've never done on this before. Last week, I put on a Beatles song called Don't Let Me Down, which right. is one of my favorite Beatles songs. Great song. However, when I put the mix out, I realized that the song I had actually wanted to put on last week was the song I've Got a Feeling. Okay. Which is off the same album. I was curious why you did Beatles two weeks in a row. Yeah. So I've Got a Feeling was the song I wanted to do last week, but didn't. So I felt like I needed to put it in mm-hmm. this week. So there's yeah. my two uh, tracks for this week. The rest you can figure out on your own. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and last but not least, we'll do a mailbag question just because I love it. I wonder, I got a question about the playlist. So when folks go and listen to the playlist, they can't tell who picked which track. Out of, we it's do very six frustrating. Six, right? It's very frustrating. It's interesting to me. I would like to, I'd be interested to see who thinks who picked what. So here's, so here's the anal retentive part of me going crazy. When we make the lists, mm-hmm. I have to make them shareable yep. and I have to make them public. Right. So what I'll do is I make them shareable, I make them public, I send them to you. Mm-hmm. And then when you put the songs on, I make them non-collaborative right the reason i do that is because once if it's just out there people just start throwing mad songs on it then i don't know what happens to the list not that i don't want people putting songs i'm just saying it's not the point uh so i stopped doing it and doing it that way but when i take the thing off of shareable it removes your name from it for some reason no that's fine it's all good i don't know why uh, it's i like the idea of it's just the mixtape that comes from the show and you can guess who picked which i'll give you a hint uh they're always in no effects is always you no, they're always in back to back. They're always in back to back order. They do it's, go every other. I, yeah. I never do two songs by one of us in a row. So that's a good. Oh, so you can. So if you know that, like I pick. So for example, this week I picked Ghost Town by the Specials. So you know the next song is you. Yes. So you know the next. That song is correct. Me. That is correct. Oh, I see. That makes sense. Very inattentive attentive in that way. Oh, not so bad. Uh, all right. So here's our mailbag question, Kev. I think you're really gonna like this one. I love it. Um, which maniac killer? Do you think you could survive or at least last the longest against if mm-hmm. dropped into their universe? Your four choices. 
Michael Myers from the Halloween series. Uh-huh. Jason Voorhees from the Friday the 13th series. Uh-huh. Uh, Freddy Krueger from Nightmare on Elm Street. And of course, Pinhead from the Hellraiser series. Which of these four movie maniacs do you believe you could survive or last the longest against in their universe? Michael Myers. I think it's the easiest answer. Michael, Michael Myers would get body bagged. Like, I hate to break it to the folks who make these movies, but yeah. As long as I knew, like, if he, obviously, if he snuck up on me, that's a different story. But, like, if I knew he was coming after me, yeah, no chance. Well, that's the that's the Batman question. You're like Batman. As long as I have prep time, nothing can stop me. Just, right? Even just a heads up. <laughs> yeah. Just even a heads up. Give me 15 feet, you know? Um, uh, I'm gonna throw, I have a deeper thoughts about this, okay? Right off the bat, it's not Pinhead or Freddy. Uh-huh. Freddy has dream powers. I can't... That's nope, that's that, way that. too much... Like, yeah. I, I'm sure that you can sit here and be like, oh, it's your dreams. You, I don't trust myself in the dream world against the dream master. Too much. And it's like be, fighting a shark in the water. That's not your zone. And Pinhead is from hell. Even deeper, yeah. He's got... That dude's got wild... All sorts of stuff. Way beyond. So really what you're talking about here is Jason mm-hmm. and Michael Myers. Jason is just Michael Myers with more weapons and more unstoppable and supernatural. Yeah, the supernatural stuff with Jason really is right. the thing. That's, that's the thing. Michael Myers, I feel like if you gave me a, I don't know, a car that was in decent shape and like a, I don't know, a baseball bat with some nails in it, I could do okay. <laughs> what a what a weird combo. I'm just saying, like, you hit him with the car, you smash him with the bat, whatever. I'm, I'm just, just saying. picturing you driving like a Ventura with your head out the window and the bat in your left hand because you're driving. Michael from Haddonfield, this is weird. Uh, yeah. Well, that's the thing too. Like Michael Myers, Michael Myers is a big dude, but like I'm also a big dude. If he's coming and I've got the chance, to like prepare some weapons and maybe even like a little trap going on, you can find a way to to oh, I practically capture him and then at that point you're talking about you know just like head chopping I mean if you had to pick between Kruger and Pinhead I mean Kruger right Kruger. at least it's Kruger. you have a fight I think Pinhead is like you're done if Pinhead shows up and he's got the, you got that cube it's all no, over it's here's the thing like like Freddy is a is a creep but he still is kind of sporting and appreciates that he's out there doing his yeah, thing. Yeah, go ahead. I'll come get you. You know what I mean? Like, you can drag him at least. Because Freddy at least was originally originated in the human realm and was, you know, Fred Krueger, the janitor. Pinhead is the genesis of, like, evil and hell and all that stuff that goes on. Hellraiser is a different kind of movie. I'm a big... He doesn't really count as a slasher, to be fair. I'm a big fan of the Nightmare on Elm Street series. So what I would say is this. Your best case scenario here with Freddy, mm. right, is the standard dream logic. The idea of these movies is if you wake up from the dream, you can pull something out of the dream with you. Yes. If you can pull Freddy out into the real world, he's just like a burnt-up 60-year-old man. He's a burnt guy. He's He's not like a... He can't do all the weird dream shit. Right. So if you can get Freddy out into the real world, Mm -hmm. okay, you got a chance here, maybe. It's a big if. Yeah. It's a big if. A big if. I'm just saying. Mm Uh, do we, where are we at? We're 20. I think that's enough mailbag. We'll save the other one for next week. Uh, all right. Shout out to, uh, again, thanks to uh, Celeste Friend for coming on the show. Uh, if you're interested, Utica, City of Utica YouTube to watch, uh, the Common Council meeting on Wednesday. Certainly, certainly. Sign the petition if you're interested. It's on her Facebook and I'll share it on all the social media platforms. Uh, hope Heather's doing well out there with Mohawk Valley oh, Little Explorers. So miss her so much. Uh, that's it. Sign our humanoids. Don't forget, get ready for the teddy bear toss coming and get those main yo, yo. boxes as well. Yo, yo. Get some shopping done online early Do and easy. It. Oh, I gotta start doing it this week. I've been kind of thinking about it. I'm starting like thinking about Christmas shit now. Oh my gosh. I'm trying to get ahead of the game, man. I gotta Sorry. do it. Uh, all right. Sign our humanoids. Keep it tight. Woodstock 
lives. Uh, you can follow us on Facebook, SoundCloud, Instagram, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Podcasts, Stitcher Hive, uh, Spotify, Apple, iTunes. We're taking over the web. Uh, it's the tape machines are rolling. We are desperately, desperately out of time. And we will see you next week for another episode of the Ucast. Take care, folks. <laughs>